Oh God, form the minds of your faithful people into your one will. Make us love what you command and desire what you promise. That amid all the changes in this world, our hearts may be fixed where true joy is found. Your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. May be seated. The reading scripture is the first lesson, Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 to 34. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owner a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul was very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owner saw their hope of making money was gone, they sized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrate, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews, and they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crown joined in attacking them. The magistrate and them stripped of them their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them their severe flogging, they threw them into the prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to the God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prisoner doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Their answer, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. At the same hour of the night, he took them, washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced. He had become a believer in God. Word of God, word of life. The Gospel lesson according to John, the 17th chapter, verses 20 to 26. 
Jesus prayed, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, And I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Here ends the gospel reading. I would like to, to invite my young friends to come down if they would like to, down here to the front. How are you guys today? So how much time before um, school's out? Ten days. Did you hear that? They all said it at the same time. <laughs> wonder if they're counting. Are you counting? The teachers are. <laughs> Good answer, Astrid. <laughs> Look, there's a teacher saying, yup. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so um, i got to talk to you about something today. That scripture reading was really kind of confusing that I just read. I understand. It confused me, so I'm sure that it confused a lot of other people too. Not that I'm that much smarter than y'all, but it it was kind of confusing. So um, we're going to try this. Um, See this beautiful picture that I have here? Look, it's a letter that I wrote. Is that what it is? Well, what is it? It's a pen. But it could be it could become, I could make a picture with this. I could, it could be used to write a letter, right? Am I right? You got you with me so far? That's what Jesus is talking about in his prayer. We all have the potential to be instruments of God's peace, to do all kinds of good things. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about that this pen is a picture, it's a letter, it's, it's um, signing a, a check to help other people. It's all kinds of things. And so are each one of you, and so are each one of you. You all have the potential to do all kinds of things if you trust in God and you serve others in the way that Jesus is teaching us to do and to be in very special ways. Um, It's one of those kind of things. Um, There's a story um, that goes with part of my sermon, Um, but um, I'm going to quote a a former Catholic leader. His name was Cardinal Bernardin. And um, there's a couple of quotes in the sermon about him. But the best part of him is a story. And it's important because it's important for all of you to hear too. Cardinal Bernardin was traveling in, in the Philippines. Now he's a big shot in the Catholic Church. That's, that's what Cardinal means. Big shot in the Catholic Church. 
Um, and he was traveling with some other big shots. One was the Deputy General Secretary. You know that's important all by itself, right? Deputy General Secretary of the National Council of Churches. And the, she was a woman. And the man who was head of the Salvation Army for all over the place. They were walking through the ghetto in, outside of Manila in, the, in Manila in the Philippines. And as they walked through this ghetto, they realized that there was this cardinal because he had his, his collar on. And I believe the, the Eileen, um, the, person, the woman who was with them, had a collar on also. And the Salvation Army man was in his Salvation Army uniform. And people started to realize that they were church people. And guess what happened? They started begging for communion. Okay, there's a big problem because the Roman Catholics won't have communion with anybody else. But the, and the Salvation Army doesn't really believe in communion at all. And Eileen was a female pastor, another no-no, in both the Salvation Army to some degree and definitely in the Roman Catholic Church. So what are they going to do? they got all these rules that they have to follow. So you know what they did? And they did, oh, by the way, they didn't have anything for communion either, any elements. So they had a little quick talk. And Cardinal Bernadine had the most to lose if someone reported this back. But he decided to put his service to God and his service to these least of these people. So they went to a store, like a store nearby and they bought cookies. And they bought grape soda. And the Roman Catholic Cardinal and the Presbyterian female pastor and the head of the Salvation Army served communion for hours. They had to buy more cookies and more grape soda. Because they put the service to others and the service to Jesus Christ in front of all the rules of their respective organizations and churches. And they became one in Christ. Not only with each other, but with all those other people. That's what they're talking about we need to be. And Grace is tired of my story. (laughs) Right, Grace? It's getting a little long, right? See? (laughs) So if you all just remember that all of you have extreme potential in God's eyes, always... And, it, and we're, we're, we're hoping all of us who, all of us old people who have screwed up the world all by ourselves are counting on you all to do extraordinary things for God. Okay. All right. Has, uh, can we be done now, Grace? Is that good? Okay. <laughs> we're going to say a little prayer, a line out prayer. Okay. Here we go. Dear God, Dear God we, give we give thanks for, for extraordinary, extraordinary opportunities to serve you. In Jesus' name, we pray this day. Amen. Thank you, guys. I'm done now, Grace. So the John 17 text, the prayer of Jesus, is deeply moving for the unity that it shows that they may be all be one. This prayer is on his lips the night before Jesus is hung on a cross, tortured and killed so that we, you and me, might be saved and healed and reconciled 
and redeemed. Praying for us so that we might be one? You mean all together? This prayer that Jesus, that, 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 that Jesus prays for unity takes on new urgency and significance in the context of this modern world. I think you'll agree with me. That's filled with war and poverty and injustice, all unacceptable in the eyes of God. According to the scriptures, one of God's greatest desires for humankind, all humankind, not just some part or some small part of humankind, is that we recognize that all of us on this planet indeed are the ch- children of God siblings of one another created in the image and with the likeness of God we are intended to be one this implies that we need to make every effort to live in accordance with this divinely inspired insight that we live in peace and harmony and unity and without being controversial or making a political statement or taking any kind of sides we as in all of us are not even close to the kind of unity our Lord is calling us to to be and to. We need only look around us to realize that we have a long way to go to cooperate with God's plan. That This prompts us to ask ourselves, what will it take for Jesus' prayer for unity to be fully realized? Praying for us? Really? Even with all the way that we are acting? Just turn on the news. What will bring about greater harmony and peace among the nations and people and churches and cities and within families. How can we better use God's gifts to us? How can this pen become something more than a pen? How can each one of us become more than we think that we can ever be? How can we build up God's kingdom of peace and justice instead of seeming to cut it down or cut it off or cut it up all over the place, all the time? First, we must constantly pray for peace. Not just pray for peace, but also work for peace. Call for peace. Become peacemakers. Too often we settle for being peace, as my friend and brother in Christ, Abunadiyah Shakur, says, is so fond of saying, to become peace contemplators. We we don't need to be peace contemplators. We fall short of never getting to peacemaker. It's hard work. In the face of terrible conflict around the world, too much of it inspired by disagreement over religion, even within Christianity, or maybe especially within Christianity. Too much of it caused by fear, fear of the other and what they, the other might do, whoever the other is. Fear of losing something, fear that something may happen. What we're not always sure of exactly, that, you know, what might happen. What we are losing or what we fear, but something. We must acknowledge that true peace is ultimately God's promise to us, God's gift to us. Without God's help, we can do nothing, nothing to solve the diverse and enormously complex problems which confront all of us. We first must acknowledge the reality that true peace, peace that passes all understanding, this peace that is God's promise and gift to each one of us, just magically solves everything. So then, obviously, if prayer were all that we needed to achieve unity and harmony and peace, maybe, maybe we would have realized our dream and goal by now, but don't think so. Obviously, prayer is extremely important, don't get me wrong, but we need to pray and. 
You know, we need to pray and also do something. We need to pray and get our hands dirty. We need to pray and write a check. We need to pray and do all kinds of things. At, at, at times when Jesus does something, he gives us this example, but it also jars us away from the familiar concepts or attitudes and shows us a new creative and transformative way of living in God's presence and in the human community. Jesus shocks those watching when he touches contagious lepers to heal them. Jesus shows us the way when he embraces small children to let them know that no matter what, that they are loved. Jesus seems to enjoy table fellowship with sinners and all kinds of tax collectors way more than he likes sharing a meal with scribes or Pharisees, you know, religious leaders and politicians. And those religious leaders and politicians who obviously are assumed to be the pious and upright folks. Oh, by the way, Jesus also loves dining with his disciples and his family and his friends. Jesus feeds vast multitudes without benefit of a catering service or help from any celebrity chefs like Emeril Lagasse or whoever. And in the midst of a turbulent storm, Jesus calms the wind and the water to manage the fear of those in the boat. But Jesus also remembers and retreats to a quiet place from time to time, away from all the hubbub and the crowds. He does this, I believe, to remind us how we need to take care of our own spiritual selves in the midst of all that we do and and all of the things that we're involved in. We need to stop and we need to take time for ourselves sometimes. It's okay to do that. Some of his actions are truly extraordinary while others are really quite simple. But he always remembers to care for himself too. Praying for us? Looks like it. It's often very difficult to concentrate on what God wants for each of us. And by extension, just what what we might be doing as the hands and feet of Christ in the world. Often, because of the distractions that come our way. What do I mean? Well, here's the Cardinal Bernadin piece. Listen to the way that the late Joseph Cardinal Bernadin, the former Archbishop of Chicago as he talks about this challenge of distraction. He says, Because I frequently experience distractions during prayer, I have often looked to Jesus' example for a remedy. I have been struck with how busy Jesus always seems to be in the gospel narratives. The people he encountered needed to be healed, have a question answer, or or a dispute settled. As Jesus encounters these potential distractions... He is not deterred from carrying out his basic mission, nor does he lose his way or sense of purpose. This often puzzled me until I realized one day when Jesus stops to embrace a child, and when Jesus stretches out his arms on the cross to embrace the whole world, there is a single theme, a common focus in his life and ministry. It's this. Jesus has come to bring God's healing and saving love to each of us. Cardinal Bernardin continues, in that sense, Jesus does, does not do many things, but only one. Jesus shows his tremendous love for us, and our Lord and Savior does so in a great variety of ways, some quite simple and some extraordinary. But what a lesson there is for, uh, is for us here. The Lord Jesus becomes a servant. Jesus had told, 
had told us earlier, the Son of Man has come to serve, not to be served. Now get this part. This statement is forthright and clear, but we do not begin to understand the depth of its meaning or the extent of its power until we sit among the disciples and await our turn for Jesus to wash our feet. End quote. Praying for us and caring for us? You bet Jesus is. The notion of serving instead of being served is where it begins to get challenging for most of us. Particularly those of us who have been somewhat inwardly focused. What do I mean? I'm not quite sure where it came from or when it started, but the church became inwardly focused. To the extent that sometimes we seem to have lost the old edge that we had that made people want to come to church. I'm talking about the whole church now, not this specific church, our church, but also so many other churches in our area, churches in our country, churches in all kinds of denominations, churches in Europe. Somehow we got lazy in the so-called heyday of the church in the 50s and 60s and even a little bit into the 70s. We got swollen with numbers of people and swollen with money, and then we seemed to have forgotten what we were supposed to be doing. So often it seems we lost the focus of preparing, equipping, supporting each other so that we can go out into the world and be Christ's hands and feet and instead have lost, to a large extent, often, why we were here in the first place. We began to focus so much attention on our own needs that two things happened. First, we completely forgot about always being ready to welcome new people, especially People who did not necessarily look like us or act like us. And I'm not talking about just, just talking about people who are poor or people of color, people who look different than we do. Somewhere along the way, we even stopped appealing to many of our own children, for goodness sake. And we were so pleased with the programs we were doing for ourselves, the active members of the church, that we forgot. And sometimes we still forget what it looked like to serve others, especially those less fortunate than ourselves. Oh, sure, we sent them money and collected things for them, and that was important then and still important now, don't get me wrong. But too often, we forgot the most important part of the giving thing. is how we give of ourselves to that other. To go and look the other in the eye. To see the other for just exactly who they are, created in the image and with the likeness of God, just like us. I really believe that we spent so much time in meetings and serving on committees and taking care of buildings and talking about what we were going to do that we forgot what it feels like when you really do put yourself out there and get your hands dirty to help someone else. This kind of commitment, commitment to serving others, is a portion of what we need to transform and to continue to transform and to commit, continue to push the transformation throughout our communities and our churches. Listen again to Cardinal Bernadine. In other words, Jesus does more than pray for unity. Jesus shows his disciples how to care for one another. Jesus shows us how to achieve the unity for which we pray. We are to serve one another, to love one another as brother and sister, siblings in the Lord. Indeed, to wash one another's feet. 
This mandate of Jesus is so simple and yet so difficult to fulfill. It is difficult because it runs counter to some of the values of our culture, which puts a premium on competition and consumerism and individualism. It is difficult for those of us who are immersed in this culture to understand a mandate to serve others. But there is an illuminating truth, saving wisdom and great power in Jesus' example and command. We are not individual islands, you and I. We can no longer pretend to be lone rangers in a world becoming increasingly interdependent. We cannot go it alone when all of us are faced with enormous social, economic, and political problems. It's one thing to carry out Jesus' mandate within our family or close circle of acquaintances and another to implement it within a local church or a community or a whole community. It's even a greater challenge to accept it as a blueprint for relationships among nations or to realize that its embrace includes all our brothers and sisters regardless of their religious affiliation or social condition But we will not imitate the master until our embrace is like his, wide enough to include the whole world in our love. Remember what Cardinal Bernardin and the head of the Salvation Army and the Reverend Eileen Lindner did in the ghetto in Manila for others. Praying for us? Really? Yes, really. Jesus knows our name and prays for each of us all the time. Thanks be to God. When you understand the call and just take up that call to serve, amazing things can happen. So, if Jesus, who is Lord, became a servant to show us how to express our love, then we can do no less, it seems to me. Who are we, his We who are his disciples must learn what washing another's feet means in practical terms in our contemporary society. How we interpret what it means to wash another's feet. I finished this morning with a portion of that prayer from the gospel lesson again. John 17, this time just 24 to 26, this time from Peterson's The Message. Father... I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I know you. And these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made you your very being known to them who you are and what you do and continue to make it known to them so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. So you see, my brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ, whether we reach out to touch the sick or embrace children, whether we feed the multitude or gather around a family table, whether we engage in extraordinary deeds or very simple ones, we are all called to follow Jesus' example. Praying for us? Yes, really. Jesus is praying for us. Thanks be to God.